So I was uh, called by a member of our church and uh, they'd had a family member die, somebody that I didn't know. And they said, would you please do the funeral? And I said, of course. So um, when I'm faced with that, I invite the family to come into my office and we talk about the person so I know a little bit about them. And they spent about 20 minutes telling me about this person, about what a great person they were and how they were successful in business, how they loved to hunt and fish and how they were always the extroverted fun person. And you know, after them talking for a while, I just felt like, boy, I wish I'd known this guy. Um, and then about 20 minutes into the conversation, I asked the question that I often ask um, when I'm doing a funeral, if I don't know the person, and that is, tell me about the person's spiritual journey. And there was an awkward silence. And finally, one of the family members spoke up and she said, well, um, uh, he, he wasn't very religious. I, I know that he was baptized when he was a little boy and he went to church, but he, you know, he quit going when he was in high school. Um, but he was a really good person. So my question is, <clears throat> is being good a, a good person good enough? Is being a good person good enough? Because this is not the first time I've heard this story. Oh, it's been different people, right? But it's, it's often similar that there is someone who, as a child, uh, professed faith in Christ and they were baptized, but then, but then there was nothing that followed up. There was no sense of them walking with Jesus. And it makes me wonder what happened. Where was the disconnect? Did the church fail them? Did the church not help them see that there was actually a connection that once you're baptized, it's not the end, it's the beginning? Did the parents not get that? Did they think, oh, okay, he's baptized, that means he's going to heaven? Did the person themselves actually think, okay, I got baptized when I was a baby, that means I'm going to heaven, so I don't have to worry about anything anymore? Where, where did the disconnect occur? And maybe even to the scary questions what really did happen to that person when they died? Did they go to heaven? Did they go to hell? And those are scary questions. And, and right when a person dies after that, when you're talking with a family, that's hard for families to face. Today we start a new series entitled, What's Next? And it is based around this very simple idea that being a Christian means following Jesus. And I know that sounds obvious, and yet there is a disconnect, isn't there? For so many people, it's like, okay, I know that, that I'm supposed to be a Christian and I'm supposed to do something, but what does it actually mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, for us, it means you do life with Jesus. It means you change your decisions. You change the way you think. You change the way you feel. You bring your feelings to Jesus and say, what am I supposed to do with this? You change your habits and your appetites. There is a change in your relationships. Everything changes. And so here is a good metric. If you're not changing, you're not following. Are you changing? Now, I want to be very transparent and admit, in my life, there have been droughts where it's like, okay, I know I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm trying to follow, but Lord, I'm tired of changing. I just want to stay put. And I look back at my life and I think, you know, those moments, 
they just wind up to be spiritual dust. There's nothing there that's vibrant and alive. At Alice Drive, we call this change process taking next steps toward Jesus. That means as we go through life, we are asking Jesus to guide us in our decisions. When we have thoughts, we ask Jesus, what do you think about this? When we have feelings, especially feelings we don't understand, we go to Jesus and we say, Jesus, how am I supposed to feel about this? I don't know. And, and it means that we say, Jesus, there, there are habits, there are appetites in my life that seem so destructive. I can't break them. I need your power to change them. And Jesus, boy, I've got some relationships that are difficult, really difficult. Jesus, can you help me? Can you guide me in these relationships? Can, can you help me know what I need to forgive? And can you help me know how to engage with these difficult people in my life? I believe this is the way that Christians are supposed to live. And we base this on a number of passages in the Bible, but especially in a story that you find in Matthew chapter four. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew. That's the first gospel in the New Testament. Chapter four, we're gonna look at verses 18 through 22. If you grew up in church, you may have heard this story taught or preached. Uh, I remember hearing it all through my childhood. I've preached it. Today I want us to take a little different look at it. Um, beginning in verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, the way I've always heard this taught, and in fact, the way I've preached it often is, Jesus is walking along the shore and there are these four fishermen and Jesus sees them and he calls these four strangers to follow them, follow him. And so they leave everything and they follow him, but they don't really know who he is. It almost makes Jesus sound like he's able to hypnotize people. You are going to follow me. You're going to follow me. But there's actually a lot more to the story than that. John who was there, who saw all this happen, wrote in his gospel, in chapter one, the backstory. Now, we're not gonna read that whole story, but the essential part of it is, Jesus had gone to the River Jordan to be baptized by his cousin John. And remember, there's a difference between John the Baptist and John the Apostle. And while John the Baptist is there, Jesus comes, he's baptized, Andrew meets Jesus, listens to him, encounters him. He goes back and says to his brother, Peter, we have found the Lord. There was something about Andrew's encounter with Jesus that made him think, okay, now we have found the one that God promised. Now, a couple of things also to know. We know that Peter and Andrew were from the town of Capernaum. We also know that James and John were from that town. There is a hint, of which I can't go into because it would take too much time, but there's actually a hint 
that John and James were distant cousins of Jesus. It's in the Bible. Not only that, Matthew, the tax collector who wrote the gospel of? Good, some of you are still with me. He lived in Capernaum. So did Nathaniel, Bethesda. He lived in Bethesda, which is right next to Capernaum. Uh, Nathaniel, known as Bartholomew, he becomes one of the disciples. He lives there, as does Philip, who also becomes one of the 12 disciples. They would have all known about Jesus. They may have already encountered Jesus. But here's an important truth. Knowing who Jesus is is not the same as knowing Jesus. There's a difference. Our mission is not to know about Jesus. It is to know him and experience him. Let me explain the difference. When I was four years old, my neighbor was babysitting me. She had an old-timey gas propane stove. You, you guys know what these are? And uh, she had just used it to make some coffee. Back then, you made coffee on the stove. I know this sounds strange to you. And it was hot, and she said, Clay, don't touch that. It's hot. I was four years old, and I was already a sinner. And so when she said, don't touch it, what did I do? I touched it. And then, though I knew the stove was hot, now I knew the stove was hot in a whole different way. And in fact, that lesson at four years old has stuck with me, and to this day, I do not put my finger into the flame of a lit burner on a stove. Now I know something. Some of you are saying, well, <laughs> glad to know you know something. Well, you can know a lot about Jesus, but that doesn't mean you actually know him. So why does Matthew tell us the story this way? Why does he give us the background? Because Matthew's trying to call our attention to something very important. Get the picture. Here is Peter and Andrew throwing their nets into the shallows, pulling up the fish. And Jesus comes along. They know who he is. They've actually heard him teach. And now Jesus says, come and follow me. I will send you out to fish for people. And so they left their nets and they follow him. Why does Matthew put the emphasis here? Because in Jesus' time, there were dozens, maybe hundreds of rabbis who traveled the countryside, who would go into a village, who would teach. And inevitably, someone would come up to them and say, Oh, Rabbi, you are so wise. Can I learn from you? Can I follow you? Do, do you get the difference? Can I follow you? And then this is what the rabbi would do. The rabbi would say, well, let me see how much you know. And the rabbi would begin to quiz that person. He would quiz them about the books of the Old Testament and the Old Testament teaching. He would give them a religious riddle to solve. And if they couldn't solve it, what would the rabbi say? I'm sorry, you're not qualified to follow me. But that is not what Jesus does. This is an astounding idea. Jesus looks at these fishermen and he invites them 
He says, I want you to follow me. Now let me pause right here because this is so big and so important. You will hear people say from time to time, all world religions are the same. That's not true. With respect to other world religions, all other world religions, and just so you know, all other world religions in the history of religion as far back as we can trace it, exist on the idea of achievement. You must achieve something. You must be good. Christianity says no. You can have a relationship with God and it's a gift. I will call you. Now just to kind of flesh this out a little bit further so you know I'm not just making this up. In Judaism, you need to follow the law, the Torah. In Islam, you've got to do the five pillars of Islam. If you're Buddhist, you have to embrace the four great truths and follow the eight noble paths. If you're Hindu, you must rise up to a different level of, of awareness, of consciousness, so that eventually you can reach nirvana. It's all based on achievement. If you are into Shinto or ancestor worship, it is being good enough to earn the favor of the ancestors. Every other world religion is based on achievement and being good enough. Jesus comes to us and says, you're not good enough. But that doesn't matter. I'm going to give you a relationship and it will be a gift. And the disciples would have recognized this inversion. Their thought would have been, oh my gosh. Instead of us having to qualify to follow the rabbi, the rabbi is inviting us, fishermen, to follow him. And they would have understood this means now they were to be apprentices of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. I have a friend who's an electrician. And I said, how'd you learn to be an electrician? He said, well, my daddy was an electrician. He said, when I was three years old, I was going out with my daddy on jobs. My mother wanted to get me out of the house. I was pulling wire when I was five. My daddy was letting me hook up outlets and switches when I was seven years old. And my daddy, I watched what my dad did and that's what I did. Sometimes my dad would let me get shocked. Now that's a, a different kind of parenting. <laughs> but I learned by watching my father. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We do life with Jesus. So when Jesus moves, we move. When Jesus stops, we stop. When Jesus rests, we rest. We are looking at Jesus and we're saying, we're going to do what he does. To be a follower of Jesus is not to learn about Jesus, but to learn from Jesus by doing life with him. And this is what he invites you to do. The invitation he gave to Peter and Andrew, to James and John, is still his invitation to you. He looks at you and he says, I want you to come and follow me. I want you to learn how to do life from me. Because if you will do life with me, I will make you better at life. And life will be better for you. Now, what is required of Andrew, Peter, James, and John? What do they need to do? Well, you can see it and we can almost run past it. 
But there's two very important things they need to do and that we need to do as well. Followers of Jesus must let go of a familiar way of life. They had to let go of what they knew, being a fisherman. They had to let go of what had taken them to a certain level, a certain lifestyle, and they now had to be different. I, I had a friend who told me that he was very successful in business, had been promoted several times, had a clear pathway forward in his company, but his heart was troubled and he felt burdened and he began to pray about that and he, he sensed that there was a call, but he wasn't sure what it would mean and he talked to his wife about it and she said, well, I think it means your call to ministry. <laughs> and my friend said, but I don't wanna be in ministry. And finally, he realized that until he let go, he was never going to find the peace that he needed. So he sold his house, sold his boat, went to school, became a vocational minister. Now, this is really where I wish you and I could sit down and have an individual conversation. Because my hunch is, in order for you to take a next step with Jesus, you've got to let go of something. And I don't know what it is. But I bet if we could have a one-on-one, -on -one, we could figure it out. I think Jesus might say to some of you, I want you to let go of a lifestyle. Jesus might say to some of you, I want you to let go of the idea that you're a victim. Jesus might say to some of you, you've got to let go of your pride your sense of self-sufficiency. Jesus might say to some of you, you've got to let go of that guilt. I've already taken it away. Why are you still hanging on to it? Jesus might say to some of you, look, you have got to let go of an expectation that somebody else has put on you. And you've got to follow me. What do you need to let go of to follow Jesus? Now, now here's the next thing. Followers of Jesus must take hold of a new mission. They have to take hold of a new mission. So it's not enough just to let go of something. Now you've got to take hold of something new. So here, here are, are Peter and Andrew and James and John, and Jesus says to them, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now here's the interesting thing. That had never said, been said by any rabbi or any ancient Near Eastern teacher of religion anywhere before. Jesus is the first one to say this. And so don't you know this conversation had to happen? This is not in the Bible, but this is my assumption that there was a conversation that was something like this. Come and follow me. And Peter and his brother Andrew put down their nets, maybe pull them to shore, and they start following Jesus. It takes them a little while to catch up. And don't you know that Peter whispered to his brother Andrew, what does he mean, fish for men? And he said back, I don't have a clue. You see, you're only going to discover what fishing for men really means for you when you follow Jesus. And that's so inverted from the way most of us think. We think, okay, what I've got to do is first know the mission, then I can do it. No, what you've got to do first is follow Jesus, and the mission will become clear. The same man I was talking about, he found out his mission was to be a minister. 
And they begin to serve God that way. And sometimes that is what God calls people to do. I believe God calls more people to vocational ministry than actually accept the call. Maybe that's some of you. you. You know that God wants you to do something, but you're scared. I get that. And it's scary. Now, maybe that's not going to be true for you. God doesn't call everybody to vocational ministry, but I can tell you God calls every one of us, just like he calls our church, to help as many people as possible take their next step toward Jesus. That's the mission of the church. That is your mission as well. And I want to ask you, how many people have you helped take their next step toward Jesus? Or, or maybe, can I change the question, when was the last time you helped someone take their next step toward Jesus? Here's my observation. It is hard to help others take their next step unless you're taking your own next step. Now just think about this. If, if, if I'm saying, hey, you really ought to follow Jesus, he's way up there, they're gonna look at me and say, well, why aren't you closer? Now let me pause right here for a minute because I have a burden about this. I think this is why the evangelical church in America today is in trouble. Non-Christians, non-believers, they actually understand a couple of things about Jesus. They understand that Jesus loves people, and they understand that Jesus wants his followers to love people too. And when they see Christians acting hateful and being judgmental and self-righteous, they go, what's going on? And, and so we've actually got to understand that by this, all men will know that we're his disciples, that we love one another as he loved us. And, and, and just so I can mess with your mind a little bit more, maybe your next step is actually learn to love people. You say, well, I love people. Okay, good for you. Jesus also said, love your enemies. Anybody in your life annoy you? If you're not nodding, you're in denial. So let's just kind of go through that. Have you learned to love your annoying in-laws? I see some of you gritting your teeth. Have you learned to love your overbearing boss? Have you learned to love that person who stabbed you in the back? Oh, let me just really mess with you. Have you learned to love that politician you hate? Just today, I read somebody's post on Twitter that said something about one of the politicians and what a terrible person they were. And they claimed to be a Christian. And I thought, is that really what Jesus would do? Really? Really? So what's your next step? Now, I want us to be practical and helpful today. So 
All of you should have received a card looks like this. At all the campuses, there's a, you should have received this card. If you're watching online, we're gonna put up different parts of this card to kind of help you. I want you to get this card out because this is a tool to help you discover your next step. So here's the way the tool works, very simple. If you've taken this step, the eight common steps that are listed here, you check the box, right? Real simple. And when you have a box that you cannot check with integrity, guess what? That's your next step. Make sense? Now let's go through this real quick. Let's start with the first box. First box is, I have asked God to forgive me and have committed myself to follow Jesus. Okay, so if you've done that, check that box. Now, may you say, well, you know, Clay, I, I just don't know if I've ever done that. Today would be a good day to do it. And to say, I agree with God. I have messed up my life. I am a sinner. God, I need you to forgive me. I want to accept the gift of grace. I want to follow Jesus. I want you to take charge of my life. That's the core of the gospel. And you say yes to God. Now, some of you, some of you still kind of get all twisted up about this, and you might say something like, okay, but I grew up in church. I don't know that I ever did this myself. I thought I was a Christian if I grew up in church. No, 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 no. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than me going into my garage makes me a car. I have to choose the relationship with Jesus. Let me just kind of expand your mind a little bit. Peter, Andrew, James, and John had a choice. Jesus could have said, follow me, and they said, I think we'll, we'll wait a little bit longer. We'll wait till the next time you walk by the lake. Only you can make that decision. And I pray that you will. And I pray you'll do it today. Let's go to the second box. I have been baptized as a sign of my decision to know Jesus. Jesus invites us, asks us, models for us what it means to be baptized. You've already seen it in this service where someone says, yes, I'm willing to declare before everyone that Jesus is my Lord. I'm willing to let people know it. It's a sign of an inward and spiritual transformation. And some of you say, well, I just don't like to be up in front of crowds. I get that. Some of you say, I'm scared of water. No one's ever drowned. It's actually a simple step Jesus asks us to do. And if you have never been baptized, that's your next step. Some of you say, well, I was baptized as an infant. The reason we do not practice infant baptism is because an infant doesn't have a say. This has to be your decision. And a lot of you go, yeah, I got those two. Then let's go to number three. I've joined the local church body. Let me tell you the reason this is important. Because Jesus said it is. Jesus never called a follower of his to do life alone. He wants us to be attached to a local church body so that we can be part of something bigger than ourselves, so that we can have a spiritual home where we worship, where we are fed, and we are equipped to go out and do ministry. That's what it means to be part of a church body. And some of you have been coming to Alice Drive for a while, and, and you say, well, I think of Alice Drive as my church phone. My church phone. <laughs> my church home. Okay, I'm glad you do. I'm glad you do. And listen, we, we, it's not about us trying to meet some quota of membership, but here's what I know. There's a difference between renters and owners. There's a difference between renters and owners. 
And to actually be part of a church body is to say, yeah, I'll own. I'll own into this mission. I'll own into this church body. Maybe you say, well, I've been hurt by church and church has let me down. I totally get that. But I want you to understand, church is not meant to be a place of perfect people. Church is meant to be a place where we give each other grace. Maybe that's your next step. If it is, Sunday, August 6th is starting point. We're going to do that on all campuses. We're also going to have an online version available. And I want to encourage you to make sure, if this is your next step, come to starting point, August 6th. Okay, next one down. I have found a group. I found a group. I have a life group that I go to. And why is this important? Because this is what Jesus modeled. He did his life with 12 men. Sometimes people said, say, why didn't Jesus have women disciples? Because it would have been a little awkward in that time and in that culture for Jesus to go as he did, sleep in the open countryside with a mixed group. That would not have been appropriate. But Jesus did life with 12 men. They shared life. They were there for each other in ups and downs. That's why you need a group. You need to have someone in your life who can speak spiritual truth to you, who can encourage you, who can be there for you, and you can be there for them. Now, here's an interesting thing. Studies have actually shown that people who have a connection to a group that is a group where there is support and encouragement and honesty, those people live longer, are less prone to heart disease, high blood pressure, and depression. So our motto at Alice Drive is join a group or die. Some of you, you know, you're doing pretty good until we get here, and you're saying, but I'm an introvert. I don't, I don't want to be in a group. I understand I'm an introvert myself. I know you don't believe it, but I really am. And so to get in a group, it's, it's kind of tough, but get in a group, and don't, you don't have to say anything. But my hunch is over time, you'll build some relationships. And here's what I know about every introvert. They still want friends. Okay, maybe you're doing good. You've checked all four. Now let's get over to some tougher things. Next box you'll see is, I am praying daily and reading my Bible daily. Why do we encourage you to do that? Daily prayer is talking to God about life. And you do need some time set aside where you can actually review your life and say, so God, where did I mess up today? My, my hunch is you're going to find some places. And you need to ask forgiveness for that. And, and so you need to say, God, as I look back, I say, I didn't make the right decision there. And God's going to say, you're right. You didn't make the right decision. And some of you are going to say, God, did I make the right decision? And God's going to say, it's going to work out. Daily prayer is reviewing your life with God and trusting God with your life. Daily Bible reading, that's learning about who Jesus is. Now, listen, don't be legalistic about this. Life happens. Some days the alarm clock doesn't go off and you miss this time, God does not sit up there and go, I can't believe he missed his daily Bible reading. But you need to make this a habit. This is like exercise for the soul. And speaking of your spiritual health, let's go to the next box. I'm giving regularly to the church. This is where a lot of people can go, okay, I'm doing real good till we get there, but just giving is tough for me. I understand. But Jesus said, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Jesus is telling us that giving is your spiritual blood pressure. Anybody ever had their blood pressure taken? You know that moment when they go, 
and the nurse reads it. And then the nurse turns and she writes it down and you're waiting. You know this feeling? And, 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 and sometimes I have to ask the nurse, well? And the nurse says, oh, you're fine. 118 over 78. Yes. Every once in a while I've had the nurse say, I'll let the doctor tell you. That's not good news. Hey, I think Jesus ought to be so involved in your life that he'll speak to you about your finances. And he might even say to you, uh, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. You're willing to trust me with eternity. Uh, I think you can trust me with your money. Can you check that box? Hey, and if you can't, well, guess what your next step is? All right, two more. All the way up to the top. I have a place to serve regularly. I have found a place to serve. Why do we encourage you to serve? Because Jesus was a servant. Maybe your place to serve is inside the church. Maybe it's outside the church. But it is some place where you can help people know that there's a God that loves them and a God who cares. Last one. I'm praying for a person who's far from God. I'm praying for a person who's far from God. This is part of being a fisher of men. This is realizing that God is going to put somebody in your life who needs to hear the good news. And you're saying, okay, God, I want to pray for them, but not just pray for them. If you give me the chance, I'm going to speak up and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And a lot of you are saying, well, I'm, man, I just, I'm, I'm not put together. I don't know enough about the Bible. Let me tell you something real interesting. It's real interesting to me. Peter, the same Peter we're talking about. On the day of Pentecost, after Jesus has ascended to heaven, he gets up and he preaches to, 3, 000, to, to thousands of people. 3,000 of them get saved that day. He'd never been to seminary. The New Testament hadn't even been written yet. What did he do? He told what he had seen. I saw him. Now, I told you, this is audience participation, right? So here's what I want to invite you to do. The bottom, it says, text your next step to 803-720-9711. So right now, I want you to get out your phone. Now listen, if you're sitting here like this, I know you're not getting out your phone. I want you to get out your phone. Some of you, I know your phone is already out, so I want to encourage you to stop playing the game you've been playing. I simply want to invite every one of you to text your next step. To this number. So if your next step is to receive Jesus, text that. And some of you are going, well, wait, 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 wait. Clay, I think I've checked all my boxes. Okay, let me tell you what you need to text. I need to go deeper. If you've got all eight, Jesus wants you to know him better. Jesus wants you to be a 3 a.m. friend. Jesus wants you to be just like him. Jesus wants you to be a bright light in this world. But I have a feeling that most of us, most of us, we kind of look at this and we go, okay, there's one of these that I'm not, I'm not doing. Now, let, let me just kind of rest assured. If you check I'm not giving regularly and that's my next step, we are not going to call you up and say, okay, we're going to put you on a payment plan. No, no, that's not what we're going to do. But we are going to reach out to you if you say, 
hey, I, I need a group. We'll reach back out. And we're going to ask permission. Can we help you find a group? Some of you are saying, I, I think I need to join the church. Okay, can we get you the information about starting point in August? Some of you are going to say, hey, I really need to have Jesus as my Savior. Hey, can, we, can we schedule a time for that conversation? This is not about pressure. We don't believe in pressure. We believe in conversation. Would you let us know what your next step is? And it's okay to text and say, I don't know. Or even to text and say, I know, but I'm scared. And we would just love to pray with you. I want you to imagine that Jesus comes to your house, knocks on the door. You open the door. Oh my gosh, it's Jesus. I know you were scared it was going to be that guy selling home security systems. But it's Jesus, and he looks you in the eye, and he says with a smile, come and follow me. And you're going to say, Jesus, I can't do that. I got three kids right here at home, preschoolers. What am I going to do with them? And Jesus is going to smile and say, oh, yeah, you're going to bring them along with me. And you're going to go, no, Jesus, I don't even have the strollers enough for all of them. And Jesus just laughs, and he says, oh, don't, don't, don't be so literal. I'm actually going to come into the house. We're going to learn to do life together because your mission field starts with three, these three kids. The most important work you have. Jesus is going to knock on some of your door at work. He's going to say, come and follow me. And you're going to say, Jesus, this is not a good time. i got a project due tomorrow. My boss is breathing down my neck. There's rumors about layoffs coming in my company. Jesus, please, not right now. Jesus is going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you hear how anxious you are? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, present your request to me, and I'll give you a peace that passes all understanding. Wouldn't you like to have peace at work? What's that worth to you? Jesus is going to knock on your door. You're going to open it, and Jesus is going to say, come follow me, and say, Jesus, I was just about to meet the other old people for coffee. I'm old now. I can't do anything. I, you know, I, I, I did a bunch of stuff back in the past. I can't do anything. And Jesus is going to look at you and he say, if you're breathing, I got a plan for you. Here's what I know, folks. If you're breathing, Jesus has a next step for you. Jesus says, Come. Follow me. What's your answer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being the God that invites us. Help us to follow Jesus. Show us our next step. And I pray especially for any who do not know Jesus as Savior that today they'd take that next step toward him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, Alice Drive. Thank you guys for watching this service, but don't stop here. Follow us on social media, on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, if you've missed any of our sermons, you can check them all out on our website or YouTube page. It is because of you that we are able to help people take their next steps towards Jesus. And thank you all for being a giving church. God bless y'all, and we'll see you next week.